Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can now read me on the Fox Sports app or at foxsports.com. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places, but there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA, and that is here. So, hope all of you had a great holiday weekend, and for some of you it may be continuing. Hope your next holiday weekend is good as well. I'm thinking now that I should have done this episode a week ago, before what I'm about to discuss hadn't become so self-evident, which is why some of the big names were being signed by COVID-maligned teams were out of the league in the first place, and why, in spite of the dearth of available players, there are still some guys out there who are not being signed. Now, some of what I'm about to say is based on the premise that there were people out there fans and former or current players alike who questioned why they weren't in the league. And I realized that that premise is fed by what I've read in social media posts, Twitter mostly. And I've become increasingly convinced that what I see in social media posts on Twitter in particular gives a very skewed, if not outright misleading view of what people are thinking. A couple of vicious, incendiary posts that harp on the same complaint can create the impression that there are a whole bunch of people out there that have the same gripe, the same moral outrage. They're just busy or upset to actually, too upset to actually post something. When, in fact, it's far more likely that there are just two people out there who happen to be unhappy on the same day and decide to vent via social media. It can happen with the media itself, too, in that there's one writer out there, one outlet, that puts a story out there suggesting that, say, the Minnesota Timberwolves should sign Michael Beasley, and it's not happening. And so you think, ah, there's people out there that think it's an outrage that the Minnesota Timberwolves are not signing Michael Beasley. Uh, or maybe it's just 
two people out there who get a certain satisfaction out of publicly jousting at things they have no control over and happen to pick the same target at the same time. I'm sure I've fallen for that bait more than once. But there is one aspect of the grousing, whether it's from the players themselves who don't understand why they're not in the league, former players stumping for other former players, media members who often are usually former players as well, or passionate fans. Uh, There's one aspect of that grousing that has an element of truth, and that's that if you were lining up players and signing them strictly based on ability or understanding of the NBA game, there are guys who would be playing in the league right now who are out of it that you'd sign ahead of guys who are currently in it. But talent is only one small piece of the puzzle to being in the NBA. And that's what has to make it hard for guys who are out of the league watching games and thinking, well, I'm better than that guy. That's not necessarily ego. That's very well the truth. Which means the reason they're not in the league are factors that they have no control over. And that has to be the worst feeling anyone can face. The inability to do something you know you're good at. Something that is a part of your identity. Your sense of self-worth. Your, your means of income. Mario Chalmers essentially expressed all that in a tweet. He wrote, When you love something so much it hurts, when you can't just go get it, no matter the work you put in, no matter what you say, and no matter what you do, if one person or player don't like you, doesn't like you for a reason, only God knows then that that team's going to look over you whether they need you or not. And then, in all caps, POLITICS. Chalmers is 35 years old. He hasn't played in the NBA since the 2017-18 season when he was with the Grizzlies as a backup point guard for a 22-win team. He made almost $25 million over his NBA career and was part of two championship teams in Miami, which is not bad for a second-round pick. He's played the last couple of years in Greece. He joined the Denver Nuggets G League team a couple of weeks ago in hopes of restarting his NBA career, no doubt inspired by the opportunities being given as a result of so many players testing positive. Now Mario used the word politics for what's keeping him out of the league. He could have said business or relationships. Because I'm looking around and seeing veterans getting signed, veterans who, like Chalmers, haven't been in the league for several years. Lance Stevenson with Atlanta, Brandon Knight with Dallas, Joe Johnson with the Celtics. And I can point to a relationship with a key power broker in the equation that is a big reason those guys were pulled off the slag heap and handed an NBA uniform again. For Stevenson, it's that he played for Hawks coach Nate McMillan in Indiana. For Brandon Knight, it's that he played for Jason Kidd in Milwaukee with the Bucks. And for Johnson, while some might think it's because of the bookend of having him return to the team that originally drafted him and this fairy tale sort of element that has, I imagine it has a lot more to do with the fact that his agent, Jason Glushan, represents half the Celtics roster, including Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, and Al Horford. 
I imagine he and Celtics GM Brad Stevens know each other rather well and have frequent conversations and have probably traded favors at one time or another. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. Joe Johnson, by the way, is one of those players who I thought was going to be the next cautionary tale of a guy who turned down a deal he'd regret or never get back into the league when he rejected a four year, or maybe not back in the league, but he'd never make the money back from the deal that he was rejecting. When he turned down a four-year, $60 million offer from the Atlanta Hawks. And I know I wasn't alone, alone at the time. There's a lot of people questioning that decision by him. Well, the Hawks came back with a six-year, $123 million offer. So he clearly got that one right. This return with the Celtics actually isn't the first time he signed with an NBA team since finishing up with the Houston Rockets in 2018. The Detroit Pistons signed him for the 2019-20 season, but then waived him at the end of training camp. And any idea how he got that look at age 38? Arn Tellum was his former agent. And Arn Tellum is now the vice chairman of the Detroit Pistons. Now, I'm not suggesting you feel sorry for Chalmers or Jamal Crawford or Michael Beasley or any of the other former NBA players who are thirsty to get back in the league and yet are finding no takers. Most made a nice sum off their careers, and if they're broke, that's on them. There was a time when I didn't feel that way. When I first started covering the league, players coming in felt pressure from the vets to live a certain extravagant lifestyle. Investment literacy wasn't something as readily available or that players could pursue with a sense of pride, the kind of pride that they have now. You were considered a bit of a dork to care about being smart or prudent with your money back then. It was almost considered a sign of weakness, as if it suggested you were afraid you weren't good enough to get another fat contract. Locker rooms can be strange places, and... What goes on in them doesn't always make sense to those outside of it. As I noted with Johnson, I've been amazed at times by players, especially those who grew up with no money, who look at a contract that would pay them $10 million a year as being beneath them because they believe they're worth at least $15 million a year and possibly 20. And I'm sure there are fans out there that think the same way. 
that why are you 10 million's not enough for you and then i think about what i was like in my 20s and 30s and the offers i turned down and i just had this revelation as i put together this podcast i turned down both my first and last offers from espn now that i think about it because I thought I was worth more than what they were putting on the table. Now, there was nothing wrong with those offers, and it was ESPN. Um, The offers might have been short of zero or two of what we're talking about when it comes to the players, but it's all relative, right? The The first time I said no, they eventually came back with a deal I was willing to accept. The last time, they didn't. And it wasn't a matter of money the second time, but one of control. I had started a media training company and they said I'd have to give it up. And I said they weren't paying me enough to do that. So I guess in a way it was still a little bit about money. If they'd hit me with some ridiculous number, I probably would have cooled my jets on the media training company. But they didn't. We couldn't resolve it any other way. So I said, well, I guess I'm out then. And I suppose there are people in my industry that either the first time or the second time would think I was crazy for saying no to ESPN as I've thought some players were crazy for the times they said no or this just isn't good enough. And like me, sometimes they've been rewarded and sometimes they've had to move on because what they wanted didn't materialize. I'd say we've all felt what Chalmers is feeling over the last few years. The pandemic has deprived us from doing all sorts of things we love. And I don't know about you, but I've felt helpless at times to make a course correction, feeling as if, well, we just have to wait this out and something will turn up. Or just kind of feeling paralyzed because the entire world felt paralyzed. I know I felt that way after Bleacher Report blew up its writing staff. I landed at Fox doing TV and radio, but I didn't have a writing outlet. It gave me time to write my book with Brian Grant, but I missed the weekly generation of story ideas and then hunting down the necessary interviews or information and crafting them. I started out as a writer, and I think that that's still a, a very big part of what I love doing and being part of this. The money is not what it once was for writing, but that doesn't really matter to me. I don't know that it ever did completely, but it certainly doesn't now. I just like it being part of the equation. And it informs my TV and my radio. I feel I'm smarter when I'm writing. In any case, I didn't realize how much I missed it. And much like Chalmers and Beasley, at the time I'd look at writers who were employed and think on my lesser days, I'm better than them. Why is it that they have a platform and I don't? Who doesn't like me? (laughs) Or what do they have against me? It doesn't take much to start feeling like Don Quixote or John Nash, the uh, mathematician portrayed in the movie A Beautiful Mind. So during that time, I was also sitting back, expecting my agent to bring me some writing offers. Uh, Offers that my agent kept suggesting or or out there, or that she was talking to somebody, and I finally, I got involved myself. 
and I started making calls and writing emails, finding out what was out there and what was and wasn't available. I talked to a few colleagues who had landed writing platforms and asked what they had done, and it produced almost instant results. My only regret is that I didn't do it sooner. And what I learned is probably something that might be valuable to Mario and Michael Beasley and Jamal Crawford if, if they're not aware of it already, which is don't assume people know what your motivation is or your intentions. I found out that there were quite a few people who didn't know I was eager to write again. They assumed I was content doing TV. They also figured I'd only accept a certain kind of writing job, as in the kind of long-form magazine writing that I'd been doing for much of the last 15 years. They also assumed the price tag would be prohibitive. Since some of them had never worked with me, I needed to have conversations with them about stories I wanted to pursue and exactly how I work and that my success wasn't a product of who I worked for, but how I work. As Mario suggested, there are assuredly GMs and executives who have their mind made up about who Chalmers and Beasley and Crawford are, and they're not likely to change their minds enough to land a 10-day contract or even invitation to work out, no matter what they write, say, or do. But there are 30 teams, and there are a lot of new GMs out there. And all Mario, Beasley, or Crawford need is one opportunity one team that gets in a pinch and needs an experienced player at their position and says, ah, what the hell? I was just on the phone with Mario. Let's give it a shot. Outside of these desperate times, the reason guys with a resume like Mario's wind up going overseas or being out of the league is that A, they don't look good on an analytics spreadsheet. And B, they don't have a particular skill. And those two are somewhat combined. But from what I've been told by GMs, uh, there's a lot of plug and play now, or I've been told by agents as well. There's a lot of plug and play. They look at analytics. They look at what a guy produces in a particular area that they need. And if they can get them at that particular price then that's what they do. It doesn't come down to personal anything. Now, in this case, it's gone to the extreme where teams are, they weren't prepared for this and they're having to add guys on the fly just to be able to put a team on the floor. So, but all that said, that's why I'm still a little surprised that guys like Joe Johnson and Lance Stevenson got picked up as early as they did because they were for the better part of their careers high volume scorers and shooters and that's generally not what a team is looking for on a 10-day contract because anybody on a 10-day contract is not getting a high volume of anything minutes shots you name it it's what can a player do in a very limited number of minutes to affect the game in many cases without touching the ball. Can he defend? Can he create space just because he's a threat as a, as a shooter? Can he rebound, pass, handle the ball under pressure? Joe's mid-range game, what he's known for, doesn't do any of those things. And Lance isn't particularly proficient in any one of those things. 
being effective in a very limited role is a skill and talent unto itself. And guys who have had the experience of doing that are probably better at it than the guys who have spent a lot of minute, played a lot of minutes and a lot of time on the floor, but in a very different role. Now, one other element working against vets is the question that every business person inevitably considers whenever they have the chance to do something for someone else, which is, what can I get out of it? What might I gain in return? For vets who have been out of the league and are in their 30s, it's hard to find something. A young guy who no one had heard of, meanwhile, makes an impact, and suddenly that GM or exec is a genius. Look at the mileage World Wide West and Leon Rose with the Knicks got out of acquiring the draft rights to Emmanuel quickly, for example. He was projected as a second-round pick, and yet the Knicks snapped him up with the 25th overall pick, late first round. And he's contributed and been part of the regular rotation. So, Rose and Worldwide are being lauded as geniuses. They saw something that no one else did. Now, signing a known quantity or an established name might have dividends because it might please the owner if it results in a bump in ticket sales. But who under 40 not in the league right now are you dying to see? Allen Iverson is 46. And by the way, when did that happen? I'd personally, I'd love to see Jim Jackson, Steven Jackson, Mark Jackson, both the point guard TV commentator and the former center now doing TV studio work for the 76ers, and Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf, previously known as Chris Jackson. I'd like to see all of them take the floor just once as the Jackson 5. Now, I'd only want it for a minute because I'm pretty sure it would get ugly in a hurry, but that's the other part of this. If an unknown face plants, it's mostly on them. The view is, oh, that guy isn't an NBA player, or he wasn't ready, or of course, he's young. But if someone like Lance or Joe looks old and decrepit, and Darren Collison's recent stint with the Lakers comes to mind, it falls on the GM. Like, why did you sign that guy? You should have known he was finished. There's a reason that he was in the league, and now he's out of it. So, if there's a lesson to be taken out of all of this, for all of us, it's cultivate relationships when you're at the top of your game. Because one day, you won't be. And cultivate them when you don't need them. Because one day, you will. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United Wecast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. In the next episode, I am planning to talk about all the slander that Russell Westbrook is receiving and how unfair it is and how it's a greater reflection on those who are slandering him than it is on who and what Russell Westbrook is at this point in his career. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 